0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 221,
1: Smoke in the Cockpit, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
1: Well, folks, welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Recently, I made an emergency landing after the cockpit began to fill with smoke. You know, many lessons were learned from this event. Besides relating this really tense in flight emergency, uh, we discussed how we're going to discuss today actually how you can better prepare for a smoke or in flight fire. But first, before we do that, I want to say hello to all the uh, co hosts that are joining us from Georgia. It's going to be Michael McClellan. Hey, Michael. Hello Carl Great to see you Or hear you again Uh, And uh, you guys I guess Got kind of close to the storm Just like we did So a little bit of wind
2: We were watching the storm Very closely here in Valdosta We were expecting it At one time to come ashore In Jacksonville And come straight through here Um I was really, we're really fortunate that we dodged a bullet, although somebody has to get it.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. But, uh, and the storm we're talking about is Dorian, if you're listening to this a year from now. uh, That just passed through here in uh, September of 2019. So, uh, also joining us is uh, Tom Frick, who, uh, he escaped the storm also being on the west side of Florida. Welcome, Tom.
3: Hi, Carl. Good yeah, day. I'm in uh, the central west side of Florida, but uh, we were we were watching and dodging as well. So uh, very grateful that we didn't sustain any damage, and uh, you know prayers to all those people who did.
1: Yes, yeah, and the and the one person who was watching it on TV and uh, was uh, watching our strife here was uh, Russ Rosleski. Hey, Russ, how you doing, buddy? The weather's been fine here in
4: Oklahoma, Carl. I don't know what you guys are complaining about.
1: (laughs) It's totally different than almost every other time you've been on. It's always been really bad weather there, hasn't
4: it? (laughs) That's right. Well, we don't get very many hurricanes here, that's for sure.
1: No, but enough storms, that's for sure. You get all those big twisters and things like that. Uh, But uh, anyway, well, welcome all to the show, and I'm really excited to to talk about this event and the smoke in the cockpit. I've had enough of this uh, smoke stuff and fumes that I've decided let's go ahead and talk about this now. I know it's soon after the event happened. But um, and there's you know still certain things going on as far as investigating. But I I, I want to kind of go through the whole scenario and uh, really try to kind of digest that and then you know, deconstruct it and then learn something from that. And that's why we're, we're talking about this today. Um, and the other thing, too, is I want to talk about what we can do as pilots in the future so we can better prepare ourselves for these type of event, events and also for other events like smoke and fire. But before we start that, uh, just a quick word from our sponsor. Do
2: you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com.
1: Well, don't forget with uh, the scholarships guide that the pay it forward coupon is always available to people. And if you want to help somebody out, uh, you can actually go to aviationcare's podcast.com, click on pay it forward, and help somebody else get their ratings and move forward in their life of flying and also possibly their career. It's only $10 again for the actual one year access to that scholarships guide.
0: Let's do the pre flight.
1: Other news and announcements today. Uh, Don't forget that on October 5th, this is nationwide, there's a Girls in Aviation Day. And uh, you can actually host one yourself. It's getting kind of close to that date. So if you want to do one maybe next year, look at it. Go visit. Women in Aviation. It's WAI.org. Clicking on the Girls in Aviation Day, and you can actually find a spot that's near you. Here in Lakeland, we're hosting one, and I'm really excited about that. There's going to be events for, it's going to be focused more on the younger girls. That's why it's called Girls in Aviation Day, but all ages are invited because there's going to be people there talking about careers, people talking about getting into aviation as a hobby, and really trying to promote aviation in general, uh, specifically towards uh, young girls and trying to get them involved, because that's really what we need to do is to grow this field. Uh, We have to go after the younger folks, you know, and see more of them get involved. And it's cool, it's really cool that there are more people that are younger that are getting involved. Also, uh, going on right as we're here today is the International Seaplane Flying in Maine, and that's at Moosehead Lake, and we're going to hear some reporting back from that one. So look at a future episode. Check out some of the links online about uh, about that flying, but Victoria is going to be reporting from there, hopefully, and uh, she's on her way up there, and then we're going to also get some other, uh, yeah, maybe interviews and videos from other folks. Uh, other news and announcements is, uh, Russ, you have a couple of them. I think two of them, right?
4: Yeah, they're just real quick, and it, unfortunately, uh, since I missed the last uh, last podcast, that would have been you know very timely. But hey, better late than never. Uh, just as a reminder, if for people who haven't uh, already seen this, the the FAA has, uh, I guess you'd call it, terminated the use of the old flight plan form that we all grew up with and knew and loved. And now the ICAO flight plan format is required for all flights, either IFR or VFR. Uh, there's most of the information is pretty much the same. Of course, you know your route of flight and your type of aircraft and such. But there are so the especially the equipment fields have changed a little bit. So there's numerous uh, websites and such on on, on this and. Just make sure that when when you're filing your flight plan now, you're using that that uh, ICAO format. Which, if you're using one of the uh, the common EFB apps, you know, for flight or Garmin Pilot or whatever, it's really pretty pretty seamless. I've been filing ICAO for a few years now because once you set it up, it, you, you don't even really notice what you're doing. Just just filing it works. So that was as of August 27th. So make sure you're using the right form. Uh, the other one is and. This happened back in June, but I recently came across some people who hadn't heard, so I figured I'd bring it up. Um, there, if you're used to calling the national clearance delivery number for your IFR clearances, you know you're on the ground at an uncontrolled airport and you need to. You've been using your phone to call up that one national clearance delivery number they've had for several years. Um, that is no longer available as of uh, back in June 20th. In fact, if you call it, you you will get a uh, entertaining recording about uh, how it's no longer. In use, so uh, make sure that you are using uh, the numbers that are now being published in the chart supplement, the former Airport and Facilities Directory, for each uh, airport that you're at. They should have a contact number to dial directly to the ATC facility, which is obviously a, a better way, of removing the middleman of FSS there. So, um, they there have been some problems uh, with the numbers there in the book, but uh, they have been brought up to. Um, the uh, FAA's attention, and apparently they're being resolved. I've been uh, reading some things from AOPA on that, so, uh, so that's good news making the IFR clearances easier to get. That's it, Carl.
1: So that chart supplement, uh, a lot of people have electronic EFBs they can actually download it there. yeah,
4: so then, that's correct. Uh, of course it's it's built in the EFBs, and a lot of them will you know f- will automatically find that number and kind of highlight it or bring it uh, into one of the main uh, pages.
1: So going back to the flight plan format, um, and you said something about setting it up. Is uh, how long was that process? Just curious. Was it ten minutes?
4: Well, in most of the uh, EFB apps, if you're using them in a file flight plan anyway, you'll have an aircraft set up. Uh, you know, Cessna one two three four five, and you'll have all the performance data and all that kind of stuff in there, as well as. The equipment codes and the rest of the information that's needed to file a flight plan. So the only change, if you're doing that already, the only change is changing the equipment codes and a couple other uh, small details, which can be rather confusing, admittedly. But it's a couple of small details to enable you to use the ICAO flight plan. And after that, it'll be seamless. If you haven't set up an aircraft at all, well, then you've got that additional layer of things you have to do. But uh, you can do that through EFB. You can do it through one 800 wx com or any of the other online flight planners, I'm sure.
1: Cool. And there, it's easy to find some of those links on. And explanations, I'm sure there's some on YouTube by now.
4: Oh, there's there's hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I love YouTube. It's, it's really cool. You can find information right away. Uh, well, thanks for that. And the, the reminders are great. And I love the fact that uh, we're going to the new ICAO flight plans. And at first, it looks kind of kooky to me. Uh, but as you look at it more and more you know at work we've been filing with that for quite some time it, it starts to make some sense I still have to like really think about it uh, when I actually see the strips and stuff like that so thanks that,
4: yeah yeah. one more comment about that Carl the the Icao flight plan if you actually look at the whole flight plan form it is rather confusing just like you said because it has stuff and this is international application right so it's got stuff that isn't required for us to file uh, number of uh, rowboats you have on board <laughs> that kind of stuff right. so uh, but other countries require that information for different purposes. So it's kind of a one-size-fits-all uh, form. Just know that if you're filing in the U.S., uh, like most of our listeners, you're not required to put a lot of that information down. And, and the, most of the websites that talk about that will cover that information, too. So don't be scared of the uh, volume of information that it asks for.
1: Cool. Well, thanks again, Russ. That was awesome. I, I really think uh, some of us forget that these things are coming down the pipe, especially with the national clearance delivery number. So that's uh, that was also a great reminder. Thanks again for that. Well, let's move on to the cruise flight. Well, as I said, I had a an incident that happened not uh, too long ago. Uh, it was actually an emergency landing that included uh, smoke in the cockpit. You know before I get into actually the explanation and uh, and what happened, I really want to go through uh, what was what was happening sequentially so that maybe it'll help you try to figure out what you would have done in this instance. Also, uh, I'm sharing this with you and uh, I know I'm going to get some some mail saying why'd you do that, why'd you do this uh, and the reason I'm sharing this is that uh, every time we're deconstructing this type of an event, we do find things that we do wrong no one does the perfect flight, nobody handles the perfect uh, the emergency perfectly. One thing though I will say is that we're as, as a, someone who relies on this for my career, of course, I'm always thinking back to you know what we need to do to make sure that we uh, we do it properly uh, when it comes up to the NTSB hearing later. Having been through a bunch of emergencies just because of the fact of, uh, of flying so much, it, it kind of goes through your head. Also the other thing is that I was flying with somebody uh, so I'm going to talk about some of those comments uh, that were made before and after the flight um, and I'm not going to mention the person's name uh, and I'm doing that just uh, because I kind of want to protect that individual because there were certain things that were said um, that being a new pilot this other person didn't realize what he was saying was actually not it wasn't correct it also was kind of illegal and I'll get to that in a second so so remind me at the end uh, one of the things that he told uh, some of the investigators that were there uh, some of the airport uh, personnel it was uh, it was quite interesting and it, it really got me excited so anyway let's talk a little bit about the flight Uh, as you know I got myself a new uh, warrior uh, Cherokee actually a 1961 Cherokee it's got a a bigger engine in it and it's an 0 360 and 180 horsepower it's got a lot of power and it's great uh, in climbing and climbing out so I wanted to show some of the folks at the airport and uh, took up somebody flying it was kind (laughs) of kind of showing off the airplane saying oh look at this and this is a lot of fun and uh, we were having in a grand old time did some touch and goes and then I was like you know what I think I need to you know I let this person get current he uh did three of them and then I'm like well you know what I need to get current too so let me let me do three touch and goes well we didn't make it through one of them as we you know we took off out of uh, Lakeland heading towards the west and you know went on the downwind and uh we're turning base, and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, talking away with this other person because I'm demonstrating the aircraft, and then we're going through the the pre landing checklist. And as I'm turning final, I'm looking out the window and um, thinking, gosh, you know, something's odd. And I just had taken that morning an allergy pill, so I was thinking that there was might have been something wrong with my eyes. And so I, I kind of moved my glasses up, I'm doing it now, and, and I'm kind of moving my glasses up and started rubbing my eyes. Normally, when I have allergies, my eyes are kind of moist and stuff like that. And I was like, gosh, they're really dry. This is strange. Why are my eyes so dry? And I'm, I'm having this issue not being able to see and I'm like, gosh, and they feel normal. And, uh, and I'm looking out the windscreen I was like, you know, it's kind of fuzzy and I'm like about, so about this time I'm thinking, you know, I'm glad I'm with a younger pilot, you know, cause I'm thinking, Oh, this is the big one. Maybe I'll have him do the landing kind of thing so that, you know, the things that go through your mind, like, gosh, why am I not able to see as well through the windscreen? And, uh, so I'm thinking there's something wrong with me, that there's something wrong with me personally. And I'm, I'm about to relate this to the, the, pilot that's next to me. And by the way, the pilot I was flying with was also a flight instructor. And uh, he's looking out the window and he says, you know, is that smoke? And then I said, why, yes, that is smoke. And it was funny in in the way I just said it, just like that, it was like, yeah, that is smoke. And then I think at the time I didn't realize that the smoke was coming from our aircraft and was actually what was causing me not to see as well through the windscreen. And, uh, in about that time, all of a sudden, big puffs of smoke started coming up into the cockpit of the aircraft, which, uh, at that point started giving me a little bit of alarm because now we're about 700 feet, we're clear to land and, um, and so I, I keyed the mic and I said, you know, this is, uh, you know, 277 Charlie Papa. Uh, we're actually, we have smoke in the cockpit. Uh, we're going to evacuate on the runway. And uh, and I'm not sure if I mentioned how many were on board. I think the person next to me, the flight instructor, I think keyed the mic and said there's two on board. We'll be evacuating on the runway. So that was one mistake there, maybe. Uh, I can't remember quite. Uh, I'd have to roll the tapes on that one. So. Uh, We're coming in at about, uh, you know, then I hear some of the chatter in the background and some of the other folks that were around the airport that know my airplane said that they wouldn't let anybody land because there was an emergency. And, uh, you know, while this is happening, I'm thinking to myself, I'm at 700 feet, uh, going through 500 feet. You know, I'm going to land on the runway in front of me. Uh, As far as, you know, troubleshooting, I said, you know, I'm flying the plane you start troubleshooting to the person next to me. And he started looking around, and uh, at that point I noticed there was no heat inside the aircraft, uh, so I felt fairly comfortable that the smoke wasn't coming from the inside, but I really couldn't figure this out because it, the smoke was not a consistent smoke. It was just like billowing uh, into the aircraft every so often, and sometimes the smoke would be on the outside, etc. and I was like, gosh, you know, what is going on here? But I didn't care. All I cared about is control Controlling the plane and, and actually landing, so uh, so we got down, we got in the flare, kind of put it on, stopped really short. They have great brakes on the airplane. Uh, at that point, uh, we had you know we opened the door at, to the aircraft and uh, still going through some troubleshooting, but we see no flames and uh, we're like pretty confident that we're not on fire, that there's just smoke. And and the other thing too, uh, beforehand, right before we landed, I said, you know, that does not smell. Uh, and my nose isn't the best for smelling, but I know it doesn't smell like an electrical fire. It doesn't smell like gasoline, and I'm like, "Gosh, what could it be?" And I'm in my mind, I wasn't thinking anything about what it actually was. Um, you know, I'm kind of thinking it's something else, maybe paper but it didn't smell like paper so what in the world is it so when we got on the ground I mentioned that we were gonna evacuate on the runway and I said you know what I really don't want to shut the airport down I don't see any smoke and fire so we actually decided to taxi off the runway as we taxied off the runway um, and, and I'm watching all the fire trucks now uh, coming towards us we moved out of the way so they could actually operate the airport and, uh, and as I put the power to it, I noticed a little more smoke. I said, oh, that's it. We're done. Uh, went through everything, went through the checklist to shut down, you know, the fuel selector and all that kind of neat stuff and did the emergency checklist and the the, the shutdown checklist and then uh, started getting out of the airplane. And I said, you know what? You get out now and I'll finish up shutting everything down. He got out. And, uh, and after I did everything and we got out of the aircraft, I looked back at the airplane and there's a fire truck pulling up. And I could not figure out what 's wrong because now i 'm not seeing any smoke, but I noticed there was some fluid uh, on the front and left towards the county, and you know obviously in the Cherokee we 're on the right side, and I'm looking at this fluid on the ground again. I'm saying what is that and you know it's dripping now it's dripping and it's dripping and, it's dripping. and it keeps getting worse and worse as it's dripping so uh, I point at the fire truck and tell him to go over there towards the front because that's where something's dripping out of the airplane and he did um, so after everybody showed up all the firemen showed up etc noticing no smoke uh, they looked at the cowling they you know that's where they determined that there was the smoke was coming from probably they asked me if there was any way that I could open up the cowling, and I said, sure, uh, we got—we uh, don't have those little uh, 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 fasteners, you know, the, the butterfly-type fasteners, we actually have a screw, so we uh, popped it open the screw and uh, opened the cowling, and I'm like, well, that's odd, there's just oil all over the top, and then there's oil on the side of the aircraft and there's oil still dripping out the bottom. And uh, that's when the firemen determined, okay, there's no problem here, there's no fire. Uh, Another thing they asked me to do is disconnect the battery uh, from the aircraft. So I said, okay, I'll go into the back and uh, started doing that. And they're just like, ah, forget it. As I pulled the whole, you know, a panel off to disconnect the batteries. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're it's good. We we're pretty happy with what happened here. That this is not going to continue to be a fire. So, um, so a couple things we noticed as as we went back to the airplane. And by the way, I'm going to have some pictures of this. And I know some of the the co-hosts here were able to, to actually look at it. I just put it out uh, on on the website. So there's two pictures I have. One of um of the actual engine uh cowling a little bit further away zoomed out with, with oil on the sides and if you notice on the top there's oil actually on the inside of that of the, the door in the cowling and also if you look down on the ground there's some dripping. There's quite a bit of oil so we uh we said okay there's there's nothing wrong here and then then there's the process that happens afterwards so before we kind of go through the the deconstruction of what we did and what we did right what we did wrong um we decided okay gosh you know uh, you know what should we do uh immediately the airport was there the and was what was kind of I guess it was funny at the time. Is one of the airport operations people? I actually had a was going to have a meeting with him, and that, and we were going to talk about something. He comes out and he looks at me and says, "What are you doing? You know what just happened here?" I said, "Yeah." said, so "We had we had a little bit of an oil oil leak. It looks like here, what had happened." And when I actually looked under the cowling again, when we walked around uh, after I was happy with everything, um, noticed that the um, oil return line had uh, come unattached but uh, it's almost as someone unscrewed the oil return line on the number i think it's the number four cylinder but anyway the the let's see it was the back left cylinder to the yeah back left cylinder so that actually was detached and, so, and i'm sitting there thinking how in the world that, that does that come detached and and just you know so those things are going through my mind and i noticed that i was everything was pretty calm to this point and But I noticed I was kind of shaking when I was moving some of the things around and I realized, oh, that's the adrenaline starting to pump. But as we, you know, as we went through this, the the airport operations, the FBO, everybody came by, they wanted to get the airplane out of there. So you're doing all this stuff and everybody wants information from you. They want to see your pilot's license. You know, you have to kind of slow down and say, okay, who are you asking for my pilot certificate? I had to sign so many things after this and on the airplane, you know, actually next to the airplane signing. First of all, the firemen, they came and they, you know, determined there's no fire. I had to sign a form with my name and that kind of stuff. And then the airport operations, they want to see a pilot certificate. I showed them that and other information. Uh, And then the FBO pulls up in their tug. And of course they obviously go through this and, they had a form for me to sign. I'm like, and that I thought the other stuff was pretty normal, but that form that I had to sign from the FBO kind of took me aback, and they're like, what's this? He said, well, it's a hold harmless agreement. I was like, well, why am I signing this thing? And it, and it was basically saying that we're going to tow your airplane off the taxiway over to the maintenance, and uh, we're, you're going to hold harmless. So any damage between here... And the maintenance hangar. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll sign that. But I, I was kind of a little, I was a little incensed at first because I was thinking, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm actually a tenant here, and I, you know, I have an account with you guys. And can I just charge my account? So uh, I actually had to uh, had to pay for the tow uh, to bring it over to the maintenance hangar. So that was, uh, you know, that was that part of it. You know, getting the airplane off uh, the 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 taxiway and over. But going to what I said before about you got to be careful what you're saying, especially in front of any type of airport operations, police, fire, um, or anybody. Is that the person I was flying with, and and nothing. This is just again. This is only because I want you folks to understand and learn. The person I was flying with said, "Oh yeah, we were flying. We we're test flying the plane, and that's how, this is what happened." And I was like, "Whoa, time out!" I said, "We we're not doing. You know, first of all, I want to put on the record. This was not a test flight. This was just a demonstration flight showing him how how you know." all about the airplane how to fly the plane the checklist and stuff like that and uh i said you know this is not a test flight because there's a there's a whole bunch of things you're not really you know we're not required crew member we don't need two people so it wasn't a return to service kind of thing this is just just a regular flight so uh interestingly um we had some maintenance done to the aircraft there had been a lot of maintenance done and uh, to the aircraft by multiple mechanics before i ever took possession of it and uh and so that could have played into this whole scenario and that's where um you know we kind of thought about it and realized that maybe it was one of the, the previous mechanics that that had done this and uh but but going back to end that story by the we got this airplane back to the mechanics hangar uh i by the time i got over there because now here's the other thing logistically you got there by airplane. How do you get out of there? So the and my my car is over by my hangar. My airplane's over by the maintenance. So now I gotta I gotta fi- figure out how to get from one place to the another. And these are kind of things you don't think about. So the airport operations was nice enough to pick me up. By the time I got to my hangar, picked up my car, drove over to the maintenance hangar. Uh, he the maintenance uh, actually had already started pressure washing the engine he he already figured out what was wrong he reattached everything pressure washed it put everything back together within about an hour or two we were able to fly it again and he said that's your problem someone just didn't attach it properly it looks like uh, so so that was that that was the reason that happened um, so really what I want to do now is kind of go through uh, the whole scenario kind of deconstruct some of the things that that happen, and and ask some of the co-hosts to kind of chime in here. You know, say, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? But uh, and also, I'd love to hear from you, folks, as far as uh, things that you may have done that type of thing. But but one of the things that really um, I, as far as deconstructing, the one thing I did do wrong is on the checklist, and I've done this before with this airplane, it's kind of new to me, so this is something that uh, you have to be careful of when you're doing an aircraft checkout, is that the fuel pump uh it it seems like i've forgotten to turn that off twice and this is one of the times i had forgotten to turn that off obviously i turned the fuel selector off but i had thought that the fuel pump and also the the beacon are fairly close to each other and i had thought i turned off the fuel pump where in reality i turned off the beacon instead so so there there was one of the mistakes i made obviously the master switch is off the mixer was out the engine was off uh so that wouldn't have come back on but that was one of the things we noticed so if anything that was the one thing we did wrong the rest of it you know was great and hats off to the, the person flying with me. Uh, other than that one comment, did a great job. And uh, what was interesting is uh, he said to me, he says, you know, that was my first emergency ever in an airplane. I'm glad it was with you. And I was like, oh, great. So let's not have another please. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so they, you know, it's just a little bit of confusion, but going back over it, uh, deconstructing it was uh, was quite interesting, that's for sure. But one thing that I uh, I think it's important is to talk about you know what we can do uh a little bit you know better as far as training with uh with an in-flight type of smoke event and and that type of thing but before we go into that I was wondering if any of the other co-hosts had any questions as to and, and making sure that I didn't leave anything out through this whole process or any questions as to what happens so guys anything and that
2: but I was just thinking about uh, your location, how fortunate you were that you were on, it sounded like you were, you were already landing when you, had, when you experienced the smoke. Yeah, actually,
1: that was uh, really fortunate. Otherwise, I would have been landing off-airport somewhere, and that would have been a much different experience trying to get the airplane back to the airport.
2: You know, one of the things that I, that I learned when I first started flying is, in experiencing off-airport off landings, the first thing they say is, do not try to save the airplane.
1: Mm-hmm yeah so it's interesting you said that because uh that always goes through my mind anytime i've ever had an engine failure in an airplane in uh, an engine problem it's it's always like you know the the insurance company owns the airplane uh and that's uh, i wish victoria was on today because she actually is the insurance company <laughs> so i i did call her after this and i said hey you know what do we need to do she says nothing you know it's uh you know nothing happened nothing broke you know it's fixed go fly the airplane uh we decided not to go fly after that uh, for the rest of the day but we were a little bit nervous but you're right man we uh we kind of looked at each other and said, "You know, we're really lucky that this didn't happen right on takeoff, uh, or or wherever." One of the things that that we kind of discussed afterwards is the possibility of shutting it down. Uh, prior to landing, and uh, I was like, you know, we still got an operating engine, we don't really know where the smoke's coming from. It could be something that's dripping onto the exhaust, etc. And that's the reason you know, we just kept the engine running and we get on the ground, realize hey, there's no more smoke. We start taxiing, we kind of see a little bit, said okay, that's it, we're done, shut it down. And uh, the cool thing about it though is that uh, it, what's interesting, I should say, is that in that oil return line. You you know we had some power and while landing, and by the way, another thing that I do personally is i'm I'm usually very high on approaches and landing so that I can actually pull the power to idle and land uh, and I'm kind of glad we did it this day because we could have just shut the engine off and made it to the field we didn't um, but because uh, I really wanted to get off just in case but uh, but yes it was it was actually kind of interesting to to think about that afterwards and realize, gosh, you know we sure uh, we're really lucky so any other questions tom i think you had one
3: yeah i was just wondering so what color was the smoke that you had in the cockpit
1: oh okay that's a good question you know so at first the uh remember i was saying i was i was rubbing my eyes and it was it was not a i perceived it as Uh, the film that you get on your eyes when you have an allergy problem. So that was the perception. Afterwards, the smoke itself, like the puff of smoke, and it's really weird because as we're talking to this, it's like I can see it like it was right in front of me right now. It was just like a white puff of smoke. So we, I'm a, I would love to have seen the video of it. Maybe we're trailing smoke. I don't know, but it was a it was a white whiteish kind of puff of smoke. So that that's basically what we saw. Other than that, it really you know was every so often little puffs of smoke. And uh, oh, and by the way, we tried to figure out why we were getting those puffs of smoke and why there was smoke actually in the cockpit. Because you have to think about it, you got the firewall and stuff in front of you, and uh, it turns out that we had some of the vents open. And uh, this is before I put my air conditioner in the airplane because usually we keep the vents closed, which in this case would have been a nice day to do that because, you know, of this issue. Uh, but, the, um, but that actually caused some of the, I guess, the, the flow of the air around the aircraft caused some of that smoke to come into one of those vents. Which one and why and the airflow, I don't know because I'd have to follow a molecule around the aircraft. So I hope that is that that makes sense, uh, Tom, the, the white smoke.
3: Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, and you know why I asked the question, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's one of the ways of identifying what maybe one of your problems is. So, you know, white smoke would be oil, like you had that was probably going off of a hot engine, and and kind of more steaming. If the if the oil was actually on fire, it would have been black.
1: Right. And right. if it
3: was fuel that was burning, you would probably probably see a flame that is uh, red in color. You know, and if it was an electrical fire, then you would have the smell associated with it. So, which you mentioned that you said you you went through that process and didn't smell anything? So and there's not long to go through that. You know,
1: where we it was about 700 feet, uh, you know, on landing. So there wasn't long to, to kind of go through that. But the smell was not definitely not electrical because I had an electrical issue in in an airplane not long ago, and uh, meaning a couple of years ago. And the what had happened is two wires got crossed, and this is in a bigger plane on a, on a uh, a, um, a coffee pot, and the insulation started to uh, burn and the two wires were coming together and that definitely smelled totally different it smelled like burning uh plastic is what that's kind of smelled like so that's more like when we talk about a lot of electrical fires that's kind of what we smell is that or sometimes even an ozone but more of that plastic and that's usually that insulation that's burning through uh and in that case by the way we just uh, popped the circuit breaker and uh, by the time we got on the ground uh, all the all the fumes from that were were gone. It actually wasn't smoke; It was more like fumes from the that burning situation. And then having known, you know, obviously knowing what avgas smells like, and having fumes events and other airplanes that uh, have you know both gas and also jet fuel. The jet fuel smells a lot different in the fumes than the gas does. But you know, luckily it wasn't any kind of a gas leak. That would have been been a, a much different scenario and I probably wouldn't be flying the airplane right now. It would be a a long time before we we kind of figure that out. Um, But bringing that up, Tom, you know, the, the one thing that is and this is always a struggle in any emergency, how much time in any airplane, how much time do you put towards troubleshooting, and how much time do you put towards, uh, you know, actually getting the plane, controlling the plane, getting it on the ground? Luckily, I had there was two people in the cockpit, so all I had to do was concentrate on flying the plane. It was almost like the same thing at work, you know. One person flies, the other person does the checklist and talks to air traffic control. That kind, of, or actually, the person flying talks to air traffic control in our case, and uh, the other person just concentrates on trying to fix that problem, whatever it is. Uh, uh, but
3: so you're saying excellent crm crew resource management uh
1: yeah actually it was and i think it was more so because the uh, person i was with just went through that class uh yeah. <laughs> so he's like okay i'll do i'll call the tower i'll run the checklist and uh I, and again y- there's this time element that we sometimes forget about because when you do have an emergency there's it, it's mov- time marches on so you, you realize that by the time he was finishing up all this stuff we're on the, he looks up and he says oh boom we're on the ground uh and wasn't one of those days to grease it on either it was just like, stick it on the ground and then stop but then again, once you're on the ground, you're also doing a little bit of troubleshooting, but now you're starting to talk about evacuating the aircraft. And he did all the right things. Uh, it, w- it was kind of interesting because I was like, Well, heck, I feel like I'm at work right now. You know, you go ahead and do that. I'll just I'll just fly the plane. You just figure everything else out. So this was this was kinda cool having another person in the airplane. Being by myself, you know, I, I you have to when you're single pilot, you have to kinda you know make sure that you prioritize what is it you know fly the plane first then deal with the emergency because if you're not controlling the plane then you know that could be disastrous there and and it could make it a a worse emergency also you know, when you're flying, it's really, it's all prioritization. I mean, that's what we're doing, right? All the time and reevaluating and constantly seeing what happens when we do one thing and then move for, forward from there and kind of this continuous loop of decision making and, and actually monitoring the results from that. Um, but the troubleshooting side of things is kind of interesting in that where are you when you're having to troubleshoot this? So, so for instance, you know, this is a lot different than you know, once I, w- I was over the Atlantic Ocean getting, I got a fire warning in the bathroom. And I'm about 400 miles from any any land or airport, and that's a whole different ball game. So you're really trying to troubleshoot, and you have somebody else trying to fight that fire and put that out. And we've seen numerous examples uh, in the airlines where people have had fires on board, and, and the pilots are just... Con- You know, concerned with getting somewhere quickly to land and everybody else is concerned about putting the fire out. Uh, so it's neat to have that that kind of a crew resource management or cockpit resource management type of thing going on, even in a small plane. Uh, interestingly, though, we kind of talked a little bit about this, and I would love to hear some comments from some of you folks. Like, what do you do with like your passengers? Uh, say this happened and it was somebody that wasn't a pilot, wasn't able to communicate on the on the radio. You know what? What then? I mean, how is it that I can use? This passenger as a tool. We, and one of the things we talked about as well, the passenger can grab the fire extinguisher, and they should know where that is. And I was like you know, that's that's one good example. I, don't, I, I was, and there's probably other ones too. I don't know if you can think of some, you know, uh, off top you of the head. There's
2: there's two different schools of thought there. You had a passenger who was who was a benefit to you, and I've flown some passengers through the years that were absolutely would have been horrific during that time. That would have been I would have had to have dealt with their panic in addition to dealing with the crisis i had on board aircraft.
1: and that's a great point that's a great point because sometimes they can actually make the situation worse i mean we've all flown with friends and maybe taking kids up who've actually made the flight in general less safe because of maybe their actions in the cockpit or or whatever they might be doing and this is a case where yeah it, it could have made it much worse depending on who is in the cockpit with you. I think one of the biggest things, too, is always kind of keeping cool and calm during the whole thing and just concentrating, really focusing on what the problem is. Uh, and that's really something that can help you through, I think, all of the situations. Just keep flying the plane until it's done flying. I mean, don't stop and just, just fly whatever you got into the ground and get away from the plane after you're done, especially if it's on fire. Because that's the next thing. Honestly, that was the other thing, by the way is I'm like, oh, smoke, oh, fire, oh, I got to get out of here. You know, I'm sitting there kind of going a little bit slower than I normally would. And I was like, wait a minute, that was smoke, I'm out of this thing. So it was, a, it was probably just about 10 seconds where I'm kind of going through everything. And then I realized, oh, gosh, I want to get out. And it was funny because about the time I thought about that, I'm looking to the right, I mean, there's nobody there. <laughs> you know, he's gone. He's way out. He's outside the airplane, away from the airplane. I was like, you know what? Probably a good idea for me to do the same right about now, and that's when I kind of ducked out of there. Um, but the the but going back to the the smoke, the fumes, and, and troubleshooting, I think one of the things that would be really cool is, you know, for us as pilots after listening to this is, you know, maybe go with your instructor, your friends, go through your checklist, smoke and fire. It's one of the things that is like the worst thing we ever want to see in an airplane. Is the one thing we don't ever want to see is is smoke or flames or fire. Uh, I've had one where I had fire coming out of the engine, touching the wing. And luckily it was just, you know, shut the engine down and land. It was on a twin engine. So it wasn't quite as dramatic. But when you see those things, you have to say, okay, what do I do now? and and not panic and that's the biggest thing is just start you go into a mode an emergency mode and i think one of the things that helps is if we if we get with our instructors and do that type of emergency training and you don't have to even get in the air to do that i think you can do that in some of the simulators and i'm kind of curious because i'm not as involved in in the flight instructing world i was kind of wondering maybe uh you know russ or you know tom uh, like russ do you actually? go through some of these things like in a simulator or do you sit in the airplane uh, as far as, you know, going through some emergency procedures?
4: Well, I don't currently have access to a simulator really. So I haven't been able to do that, but that is a great place to do this kind of stuff. And I've done it before. And and unfortunately you can't, I guess you could simulate the smoke somehow very cleverly, but (laughs) we usually, we usually don't simulate that, um, which (sighs) The better the simulator, of course. Yeah, the, the more realistic everything is, and and the more realistic everything is, the more how do I say this? The the less you think it's a game, I guess. In the simulator, I mean, yeah, you can load a Microsoft Flight Simulator and pretend you have you know an engine fire, but there's not that pressure on you. Uh, so, unfortunately, the, these kind of things are are not something that you can really effectively simulate truly accurately. I, I think what we're doing most of the time when we train on this is is getting the muscle memory of the actions and getting the thought process of the actions and forcing us to think our way through it. Uh, but you know, Carl, as, as you saw, and you know, the, the couple minor, uh, examples I've had, you know, you get that adrenaline flowing through, you, you, you do a couple things that maybe aren't quite right. Like you mentioned, you know, you, instead of the fuel pump, you did the, what, are the, the what was it? The light, the yeah. beacon, yeah. Or something like that. So, you know, that that's just gonna happen with, you know, the, the distractions and and the adrenaline and such. But, but the best I think we can do is get the, the muscle memory and such down on what to do and how the thought process should work and what's important and what's not. And, but of course, of course I've run through these kind of scenarios in, in the airplane and probably, you know, like, like Tom or any other instructor about the best you can really do is say, is that smoke? <laughs> is that fire? And hopefully air person, Carl says, why? Yes, that is smoke, but you, know, um, and, and you take the actions, but, but I like the, the story you told about how really it wasn't quite that clear. Right. I mean, no. you know, your eyes started to tingle a little bit. You, know, you, you have a little problem breathing. It wasn't like there was this giant cloud of smoke. All of a sudden it was totally obvious. You know, it was a lot more insidious than that. And, and that's an excellent point that I'm, I'm going to bring up now in the future. Cause I hadn't really thought that went through because fortunately it doesn't happen too often. Right. But, uh, you know, you're not going to get that big, you know, red flashing light that says, you know, this is fire or smoke. You know, it's going to be possibly more subtle than that. And recognizing those, uh, I guess you call them the symptoms, is important. You know, uh,
1: one thing you said about, and this is a great point you made, as far as a muscle memory, I I didn't mention something, and I, I can't believe I forgot this in the story, is that when I saw the big puff of smoke, that whole dramatic in the movies kind of puff of smoke, um, the first thing that I actually did, and this is somewhat embarrassing to admit, and uh, is I I went and grabbed my oxygen mask, and think about it, I went and I and what did I do? I just hit I hit the spot where the oxygen mask is in my work airplane, right? And and it's like. Why? What about? Why did that happen? Well, just like you just said, there's this muscle memory thing. So the first thing I do whenever there's smoke or I, I go for the oxygen mask, I'm like, it's not there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a different airplane, you know. So now that I don't have that availability which kind of brought me up to the possibility of maybe putting something in the airplane. And I'll get that later in my picks of the week. But I started really thinking about that afterwards. You know, I have at work the ability to put an oxygen mask on and also not just put it on, but also I can put pressure on the oxygen mask and cause it to push some of the air out of the mask. And I have another system which I can blow up and actually see the instruments inside the airplane. It's like a big, you know, Bubble and it actually conforms to the instrument panel, and I can press my oxygen mask against it and actually see the instruments if the the cockpit's actually full of smoke. All those little tools I don't have, but there is some stuff out there that you can use. And I remember seeing this one you and I don't know what it is. I actually can't remember, but it's it's like orange and you put it on, you can breathe through it. Uh, But there's another item, and I'll mention that it's a you know in the pics of the week, but it's basically uh, you know an evac uh, type of mask where You can pl- place it on. It allows you to evacuate an area with smoke and fire. It's not just using airplanes. Uh, so you know, I started thinking about it, and you, it, it's a struggle I have. You know, it's like how much equipment do you put in your airplane for safety? There's never, you know, never enough. Um, but. But you know, what do I? What else should I have in the plane? And I started thinking about you know, I don't have the the carbon monoxide detector. You know, I was like, gosh, I don't think I have one of those in in the airplane, so I need to put one of those in. And it, all these things are going through my mind. But this is after the fact, uh, and and I should have been probably thinking about this beforehand. You know, new airplane. I'm you know, there's there's things like I I want to things I want to put in now that I don't have in there. But uh, but they have some of these in some of the devices that you use, you know, for your GPS. There's also those carbon dioxide detectors in there. I'm not sure if there's smoke detectors, but they do have that. Um, but in a smaller cockpit, you should be able to to determine there's some smoke in the in the cockpit. But uh, but Tom, it, you know. For you as a flight instructor, um, do you like? I know you do a lot of training in like a sears and stuff like that. Do you jump in the a simulator and do some of these things, or is that something that you kind of go through uh, in training uh, on the ground in the in the cockpit?
3: Um, both, and and I used to have access to a simulator, and it was a great place to do things like that. And as Russ mentioned, you can only like take it so far. Um, depending on the sophistication of the simulator that you're using you know you um, practice those things um, in the air and on the ground with students um, as they're training and it's it's um, memory items you know it's them getting to go through you know um, I'd be remiss not to not to mention that you know everything we're talking about here you know starts with your POH or your flight manual and going in the plane and finding out what the emergency procedures are for that particular plane and then there's all this other stuff that you get from the outside of of how to do memory items and how to get um your your head wrapped around um like russ mentioned the, the muscle memory in an event of something happening you know and and i've had one happen already too i've had to i've had to land a plane off airport and it was a you know it was the memory items that i had in my training that made that turn out the way that it did
1: so the, definitely the training that we get from our instructors in, in in emergencies is incredibly important. So the next time you're with your instructor and it's like, oh, man, another emergency? Well, just realize they're just trying to help you out. They want to, you know, when I'm with my students, I'm like, well, where are you, where are you going to go when the engine quits right now? And it throws them off sometimes because I'll ask it just out of the blue. And I say, well, that's what's going to happen out of the blue. You know, what are you going to do in this scenario, that type of thing. So uh, you they can never do enough training. I will say I'm going to my recurrent training at work. And every time I go, I don't like going because I have to study and I'm going to be tested. But every time I come out, it's like, wow, I just learned something. And I have another tool in my toolbox that maybe someday I'll be able to use. You know, we were, I was just talking about the oxygen in the in the aircraft. Um, many times, by the way, oxygen is not the best answer uh, since uh, it can actually feed the fire. Some of us, have, like I was talking about these Eva Kits, you know these evacuation kits where we can put them around our head. That actually keeps the oxygen within uh, our head area, and it keeps it in the mask. And you, you expel, uh, you know, all all the your air. You expel the air out of the the mask, but uh, realizing that it's not going, it's not giving oxygen out. To the the cabin or the cockpit. This is an important point for two reasons. Number one uh, is that when you do take off this mask. Uh, one of the warnings is you could actually, your hair could catch fire because you have so much oxygen that's been, you know, in, saturated within your hair follicles. So you have to be a little bit careful there. The other thing I'm mentioning it for is because lately in the news, there's been a lot of talk about, some, I think there was an instance with, uh, it's happened a couple of times where there's smoke in the cabin. And I'm actually looking at my checklist here as far as smoke in the cabin. And one of the things it tells us and is to not, you know do not deploy the oxygen mask if the fire is suspected in the cabin because all you're going to wind up doing in that case normally is feeding that fire and we are trained that way as a matter of fact when we see these things happen on the forums online you, the first thing that you hear people say is why in the world where the flight attendants is deploying the masks you know, the oxygen mask that's the, the worst thing you can do it's kind of counterintuitive but actually it's the best thing to do is if there is a suspected fire we do have procedures where actually we can push the smoke out of the, uh, the uh, cabin and the cockpit. And the, uh, so in any instance, it may not be the best idea to add oxygen to it. Maybe, because if you have oxygen in your aircraft, you know, or whatever type of oxygen you have, oxygen bottle, it may not be the best option to, to turn that on at that point, especially if you suspect that there's a fire within the cockpit. Going back to that troubleshooting, you have to first start that whole troubleshooting Process, And that's where having those checklists really helps. And that's why the airlines kind of do that. They have these huge checklists to go through that. So, so yeah, I think I'm going to start looking at that, looking at something I can kind of put over my head, that type of thing. Because, again, that was like one of the first things I, I looked at. Another thing, too, is uh, we talked about smoke, but also fumes. I mean, fumes are, you know, you can smell them. You may not be able to see them. Uh, There's many instances of different types of fumes, and I think, uh, Michael, you talked about one before about gasoline and uh, and having those fumes, and that can actually be very detrimental to you and cause you to actually have issues with actually flying the plane and possibly uh, have that cause an accident because of those fumes and uh so that that's something else that's really important to figure out is you know what is this what are the cause of fumes how do i turn it off uh, do you have an air conditioner in your plane and maybe that's how you prevent those fumes from happening so uh, so that was, a, that was a good point you made before michael that you were talking offline about uh you know the the fact that that really would cause you to almost get drunk you know on on so many fumes so obviously it worked out good for you didn't it michael
2: Yes, that's one of the things that I was thinking about just then with your escape oxygen mask. That that would give you some time to troubleshoot something like that instead of having to get on the ground in a spot that possibly wasn't safe to land on. You know, that oxygen mask would give you some time to choose a more suitable landing and you know actually troubleshoot the process a little bit better.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, gosh, this was all very exciting, this event. Um, the, the post-event actions um i decided one of the things i should do is maybe describe in case i did something wrong or in case there was something wrong i did fill out a nasa asrs report um and then uh, the and that actually is a good idea i think i should have a link to that and that's basically you describe the situation and uh you know it's almost some people say it's like a get out of jail free well it is and it isn't i mean if you do something purposely wrong then it isn't but these are these are ways that we can actually you know file these reports so if later there's an investigation you know you can point to the fact that you did fill this out and uh it also helps other people that possibly will have the same scenario and they can say oh yeah i i remember that and that's kind of the reason I'm sharing this now, I was you know kind of a little bit reticent to actually share it because it is so fresh. Um, but um, you know now that you know all the different investigating uh, bodies have been through it, it's not not as big of a deal at this point. Interestingly, though, um, there you know people ask you know is there an NTSB report required? No. Uh, is the FAA required to get a report? Well, yes, because. Uh, they asked for that report from two different entities, and probably one from the fire department. I don't know that one. But the airport operations, uh, FAA contacted them. Uh, because of Part 139 airport, this is actually an incident under their type of defa- definition, uh, not the FAA's definition. And that this is really just an occurrence. And, uh, and then, of course, the FAA contacted the owner because I'm not the owner of the aircraft I'm leasing it and then they wanted a report also so uh, actually I read his report of what happened and I said well actually that's not correct I said we got a we got to change something here uh, and made sure we did that uh, and changed the report to make sure it was correct and, and went forward from there. So those are the kind of things you, you have to think about afterwards is how are you going to report this? Uh, we do this at work all the time, constantly writing reports if something goes wrong. Uh, less is more. You know, just tell them what happened and and go from there. Uh, it's, it's important to put details into certain parts of it, but not in other parts, uh, especially if you're going to Put uh, comments like <laughs> we were talking about it. You know, oh, this was a test flight, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, well, let's talk, start talking about that. Was this a return to service flight? You know that type of thing, uh, and they that might start some type of conversation, which we really don't want to have. But uh,
2: you know that that brings up an interesting point about reporting. Um, you know, you guys are all commercial pilots and people that come from um, ultralights and GA backgrounds such as myself, that have flown from non-towered fields most of my life. Um, most people's first inclination is not to report an incident and that is that's absolutely the wrong thing to do one of my friends he had a he clipped a a landing light one time landing a I think it was long easy several years ago and there was no damage to the airplane you know wasn't it wasn't anything at all but somebody else saw it and reported it to the FAA he didn't report it so he that caused him a lot of problems if he had just reported it first and been on the front end of that, then he would have. It would have been a lot easier to have dealt with him.
1: All right, and that's true. I mean, that's like going back to the NASA report. Always a good idea to fill one of those out. Uh, if you think you might have to, uh, you should, and that's that's really really important. Um, but uh, anyway, hopefully, this has been. Uh, Educational to you, and I hopefully it's it's kind of spurred this this thought in your mind, like, hey, maybe I need to start going over some of those emergency procedures, especially smoke and fire. What would you do? You know, what would you do in the case of a smoke in the cockpit? Uh, go through different scenarios as far as like where we were at seven hundred feet. feet. What would you do at seven hundred feet? What would you do at seven thousand feet? You know, what would you do if you're over an area that uh, you don't want to land in? Do you continue? You know, those are the type of things. Do you fly it a little bit further? Let do, If there's no flames, what happens? It's just, it's all those things that, that you do in that decision-making process that's a continual cycle. Uh, but it's good to actually go through those scenarios in training so when it actually happens in real life, uh, you can actually have a, a good outcome. Uh, just like we had, thank God. Uh, just uh, I will say one thing: it was a little nerve-wracking afterwards, but uh, but it uh, it wasn't not something that I, I'm constantly thinking about now. But uh, it it definitely kind of shakes you up just a little bit. So we're happy to be on the ground and safe, and uh, the plane's flying well, and been going flying around with it and having fun with it still. Uh, just uh, what? Oh, and that's the other thing too. Guess what? I check every single time when I go. I'm like walk around. Of course, they're all return lines. You know, you you look at them. Now I kind of think I look at them really close. Um, But in doing that, am I forgetting something else? So it's like... It, it, it's kind of it, it's interesting how you react to some of these things that, that do happen but uh, anyway so this is uh, this is one of those things I'd love to hear comments about stuck my at gmail.com if you have any comments or any things that you want to relate a story that you want to relate as far as a, a smoke in the cockpit, we could really go through a lot of different scenarios but most importantly I want you to I want I want to challenge you to go and, and get with a friend if you don't have an instructor near you and, and talk about this but also talk about other scenarios as far as smoke in the cockpit, what can you do to better prepare for that? And what type of systems can you place in the uh, in the airplane maybe that could help you in the future with a possible uh, smoke event? So uh, anyway, I'd love to hear some of the comments. And I really appreciate uh, a lot of the, the different comments from, from the folks here as far as uh, and challenging us as to try to do better. I think that's great.
0: Our picks of the week.
1: Anyway, let's move on to the uh, after landing checklist. And in our after landing checklist, this is uh, our picks of the week. And uh, actually, my pick of the week is uh, has to do with what just happened to me. Uh, there's a thing called the IEVAC smoke hood. Well, that's a cool device. But I think what's even cooler than that is that there's the the uh, the IEVAC is this great. Uh, device that allows you to evacuate from smoke and fumes and fire and it's it's used in in many different environments but what's really neat is that you can actually buy one of these that's a demo just like we do at the airlines we have demo masks or demonstration masks where we can actually practice this and place it over our heads and and look through the mask and realize that You know, it's going to look kind of funky when we're looking through this, even during the regular scenario where there is no smoke. You know, put that on your head and and start looking through this and demonstrating how to use it, how to turn it on, that type of thing. Uh, Maybe you have a device that, uh, you know, as far as evacuating your aircraft, uh, you know, as far as in the water, those kind of, all those different things are great, those little training devices, and I think this is a really cool one. You can get it at Sporties by the way, and I have a link of it in the show notes. It's uh, the IEVAC uh, smoke hood, but it's the smoke hood that's the demonstration hood, which is actually a little cheaper than the actually IEVAC smoke regular one that's actually ready to go. That one's like $90 more because it actually works uh, so anyway so that's my pick of the week and Tom uh, what is your pick of the week
3: yeah Carl so I was like I'm always going through and trying to learn more you know I mean we're all about learning to fly love and fly living to fly and you know one of the resources that I use very frequently is um, the FAA site you know all of these books that we were using as we were learning how to fly, like the Pilot Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge and the Airplane Flying Handbook, and we went on to Instrument, the Instrument Procedures Handbook, all of these manuals that we had our noses in um, or that we learned information from. Um, Even if we took a secondary course you know and and learned like you know we we took a course from king or sporties or mzra or whoever you know that we we got our information from it's all based upon these documents you know so i just wanted to provide the link to the fa site because it's it's kind of cumbersome to get to you know you got to go fa.gov and then it's regulations and policies and then it's handbooks and then you got to go into the aviation part but once you're there there's just a litany of information you know um along with the books that i just mentioned uh, one of the things that's in there is aerodynamics for navy navy aviators this is a book that was written in 1965 and is still used by the faa to teach people about aerodynamics you know and that's one of the pdfs that's available on here so you can download any of this stuff anytime and it's always a good reminder that it's out there so that's my pick of the week and how much does it cost
1: it's free <laughs> so that's the best part about it it
3: is absolutely <laughs> free and that's what it is is you can download these things and i mean for for once you get into flying and you start getting into electronic flight bags i mean in flight you all of these are available on flight. you can download them and have them right on your tablet and and, and right with you as you're flying you know um and, and a, a quick story real quick i was flying and we were out west um we were at altitude and um we were looking at nearby um metars and in one of the remarks i came across one that was um ac um sl and you know i i I didn't know what it was at the time Uh, i probably should have and um but i had to look it up and it was you know alto cumulus standing lenticular which is something we don't get a lot of here in florida but you know, that doesn't sound like anything I would really want to go flying through. And I was grateful that I had, the, I had it with me at the time, and I was able to look it up. And that's how convenient it is to have these PDFs. So there's my spiel. Yeah, and,
1: <laughs> and, 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 I, and I appreciate it, because you really do learn a lot from these manuals. So go, go download them. They're free. Uh, thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. And Russ, what is your pick of the week? Uh, let me guess. Wait a minute. It might be something you read. I'm, I'm just saying.
4: Well, you know, Tom already did the book, so so I figured I'd go ahead and do an app. No, I'm kidding. It's going to be a book now. I, 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 so, um, yeah, my, uh, I know you were looking forward to me doing something different, but that would throw everybody for a loop. So we won't do that. So my pick of the week this week is a book with a funny name. It's called The Happy Bottom Riding Club, The Life and Times of Poncho Barnes. And for those who haven't heard of Pancho Barnes, he was, you know, kind of, kind of one of the early uh, aviatrixes, if that's the right uh, form of the word, uh, kind of contemporary of you know Amelia Earhart, Jacqueline Cochran, and those other uh, early aviator uh, of the, the time there, of the twenties and thirties, and so and. Um the little blurb here I, I see that I was trying to figure out how to introduce this book, but I'll just read the one I guess the publisher put out and says She outflew Amelia Earhart, outsmarted Howard Hughes, outdrank the Mexican army, and outmaneuvered the US government. The first time Pancho Barton's story has been told with such authority and affection. She ended badly, but she burned and sparked with a lust for life to set her apart from almost anyone else. And she was a very colorful character back in that time frame, uh, the, the, especially the 30s and the 40s into the 50s and so on. Uh, this book was written in 1980, so it's you know it's not a new book by any means, but it's uh, uh, the person who wrote it uh, had actual interviews and some personal knowledge of Poncho. And uh, she, her, the most famous thing she's she's known for is. For running this the Happy Bottom Riding Club, which is yes, definitely an intended double entendre, uh, it was a, a bar uh, and a ranch and allegedly some other things uh, near Edwards Air Force Base, where a lot of the early test pilots hung out. In fact, if you're familiar with the uh, the famous story about Chuck Yeager before his uh, Mach One flight, how he broke a rib riding a horse uh that you know like the night before well that happened at poncho barnes uh place so um lots of you know very easy to recognize names uh of famous test pilots went through there uh, one thing I, I enjoyed about this book although it was hard to read in some parts just because it was very very honest uh Poncho was a very uh, controversial, uh, very complicated, and kind of like a very troubled uh, person. Um, And, you know, so it's not all glowing praise for her and a lot of her actions. In fact, in many ways, you'd probably say she wasn't a role model, although she was certainly one of the early aviators and certainly an early uh, female aviator. In a lot of other ways, she wasn't really exactly what you'd want your uh, your kids to grow up to be like. Uh, In fact, there is a little bit more... um, adult material uh, in this book uh, than, uh, than, well, really any of the other ones I I discuss, but it's a very honest, uh, very candid look at the life and uh, times of Poncho Barnes. And so, if you're interested in that kind of thing, you know, the, the uh, test pilots and, the, you know, life in the the high desert there of uh, Southern California. It might be an interesting read. I was based at Edwards Air Force Base in the late 90s. So I know a lot of the locations that they are discussed in the book. And so it was really interesting for me as well.
1: So that's the Happy Bottom Running Club, uh, Life and Times of Poncho Barnes. That sounds really right. interesting. Uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but uh, anyway, from Russ, you know the, the most well-read and ra- well-rounded uh, reader of aviation, and that would—it's uh, incredible, man. Do you read all these every week, or, or how? How do you read so many of these? <laughs> <You
4: know? laughs> I I probably average a book or two a week. Yeah, wow. uh, I just I, I like to read, and uh, that's you know kind of what I do, and uh, you know instead of watching binge watching uh Netflix or something I guess. Wow that's
1: cool though and that's uh, you know good on you and and you're a great example for a lot of us out there is just uh, you know try to get out there and read a book I mean especially this one.
4: (laughs) Our our daughter is sitting in the chair right behind me reading a book right now so. uh, (laughs) It rubs off. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it rubs off
1: yeah. (laughs) That's awesome well appreciate that and by the way you can find all these uh, links from the past show notes of all the different books that Russ has read. Uh, Not everyone obviously would be such a long List. We couldn't put it on the website, but we do have all the different books that are out there that he's read, and all the other show notes right in the uh, the links to the past show notes. Uh, so go check those out. That's for sure on their website. Well, Michael, uh, last but not least, uh, what is your pick of the week?
2: Well, you know, we were talking about earlier about some of the damage that we have from Dorian um, in the Bahamas. And a lot of people like myself and several others listening here, you know, they have their own aircraft. Um, you know, we, you and I were discussing some of the possibilities for humanitarian relief or aid that we may be able to do with our single engine aircraft. Um, or, or, or actually, not everybody would own a single engine aircraft like myself. But, you know, and you, you had some interesting links earlier about that. If we could post some of those, I think that'd be an interesting thing to to um, to connect to the show
1: yeah I think that's a great idea one of them obviously I'm here on Lakeland that uh, that Sun and Fun they're starting to begin some of those uh, relief flights out there Uh, obviously some of you know that I used to be out there in the Bahamas and I uh, luckily (laughs) the the people on the island I was on are all fine Uh, it's amazing how much you don't have and how important aircraft are to helping and relieving some of the people there helicopters planes uh, boats etc you know you think you can get a boat into these islands and one thing I didn't even think about until yesterday is some of the boats can't get in because of all the debris in some of the harbors. So even bringing stuff in, you, you got to check to make sure that you can get in with a boat and actually bringing a plane out there, landing on a road if it's clear. But the helicopters have been an incredible tool recently getting out there. The planes have been a great tool also. I will say that I appreciate there's an individual that flew out there and took some photos of uh, Green Turtle Key, which is where I used to be. And, uh, and I saw some of the house's of some friends, uh, most of them were fine, but some were just uh, devastated and, and smashed. So, uh, hearts go out and uh, prayers to those in the in the Bahamas and also the Abacos. And obviously, you can get involved, even if you can't fly your plane there you can get involved by sending uh, even materials to some of these people that are flying out. It's really really cool to see a lot of different flight schools stepping up in this area and doing flights out to the Bahamas. So if you're somebody interested, you're in the Florida or anywhere else you want to come down and help out um, there's a lot of people that are, are helping and believe me the help will continue for a long time because it, it truly was devastating especially to the Abacos and, and Marsh Harbor uh, and it kind of makes my heart bleed when I see some of the pictures of Marsh Harbor uh, and some of the memories there. But uh, anyway, that was a great, great link. We'll have a link to the one, one two, or three of them actually, uh, of different places you can go to actually help out with some of the relief there and of course some of these links that we talked about in the podcast will have at the bottom so uh, but one of the things I want to do is like I said challenge you to start going out there and looking at what you do in certain situations and emergencies especially in smoke in the cockpit and I hope this discussion has helped you learn a little bit about that those situations uh, but also learn a little bit about yourself and uh, what you might do in this situation and maybe really inspire you to go out and practice we'd really hope you do that well folks we really appreciate your listening safe flying we're going to talk to you next episode and i i really really encourage you to go out and try some of these emergency procedures in your simulator in your airplane go through the checklist but i really encourage you to try it now safe flying we'll talk to you next episode
0: we